Give of your best to the master. Give him the best that you have. A couple of weeks ago, we were dealing from the book of Malachi, the scripture that talks about tithing and giving. And the book of uh, Zephaniah, I believe it was, or Habakkuk, let's see, Habakkuk, I believe it was, and Malachi both talked about that. And the Lord said, you bring me your offering and you bring the sickly, weak, diseased sheep to sacrifice at my altar. You think I'll accept that? That's what the Lord said. Take it to your governor and see if he'll accept it. So the song teaches us and the word of God teaches us that as Christians, we're supposed to give to the Lord the very best that we have. Quite contrary to the sentiments of our day, actually. Because this morning we're going to be talking about the servant Messiah from the book of Mark. But we're also going to be engaging in a discussion somewhat of a battle of the will. A battle of the will. We've already stated that God has a will, that you have a will. Uh, we're given free will. Amen? Nobody has to worship God. If you want to reject God and be eternally lost, that is a choice we can make. Because the Lord gives us free will. But that extends to many other areas and degrees in our lives that I want us to give attention to for just a moment. Now, it should come as no great surprise this morning for you to hear me state the obvious this morning that we live in a consumer-driven society. Has anyone noticed with that? A consumer-driven society. Now, I'm going to date myself with some of the things I'm going to share with you over the next few moments, but that's okay. I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm getting older. But I remember well the commercial, the ad that Burger King used to run. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way, have it your way. Have it your way, have it your way at Burger King. How many remember that? Okay. Well, that was an, that was an ad to get you focused on their particular brand of hamburger, which I kind of like myself. It's one of my favorites. Uh, they do make a good sandwich, but they're promoting having it your way. There are billions of dollars spent Shaping our thinking by what we see advertised on television, on commercials, even on radio and newspapers. Let me use trucks as an example. Pickup trucks. Some people, I'm going to get an amen, I can just feel it here. Some people say that Chevy is better than Ford. And I saw an ad just yesterday when I was kind of browsing uh, this particular subject. I saw a Chevy ad that said, rescuing Fords since 1911. <laughs> but then along comes Ford with their advertising and they say Ford has a better idea. And then Dodge steps into the fray 
and they come up with this ram tough. Right? Everybody's promoting their own product and trying to affect our thinking and get us to do a particular thing. That is, buy their particular brand of truck. Well, which cola is the best? Is it Pepsi? They say they are. Coke says they are, and they spend millions to convince us. Last February, hasn't been that long ago, really. Last February, companies spent $5 million for a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl. $5 million just to influence us to try to affect our will and turn us to their particular product. All these companies are vying for their share of your hard-earned dollars. Amen? That's what they're after. Now, I would like to digress just a moment and go back in time, back into the 30s and 40s. Now, that was before my time, but it wasn't before my mom and dad's time. And I can remember mom sharing with me, and I want you to think, how, this is going to sound so strange. But to you who are in your 70s and 80s and beyond, it's not going to sound strange at all. But I've heard mom tell me about Christmases that she had when she was a little girl, not very far from here. And there was, it was a large family, lots of children. And there was a shoebox that was hers. Your name on it, I guess. Every child had a shoebox. And when they got up on Christmas morning, when they looked in that shoebox, there would be like an apple and an orange and some raisins and a lollipop. That was Christmas morning. One time, she can even remember getting a ball. Does that sound strange? One time, she can remember a ball in a box. Let me ask you, has Christmas changed? I can remember when I was growing up, and it would have been from their childhood to my childhood, quite a few years, going from the 30s and 40s when mom and dad came along as children to the to the mid-50s and early 60s when I was a child. And things had changed somewhat. Actually, things had changed a lot from that time. But I can remember whatever it was that was really important to me that particular Christmas whether it was a bicycle one year or football one year or one year a mini bike. I don't know how they did it, but somehow they always managed to get that thing that I was wanting for Christmas. And some clothes and a few other things and some clothes and a few other things and some clothes. We went heavy on clothes, didn't we? Because that was practical. And so Christmas was a lot better for me than it was for my parents as far as the quantity of what was received. Now, when we were raising our children, Beth and Nathan, and they were small, we probably in their early years stepped it up a little. As a matter of fact, I know we did. We stepped it up a little bit more and they got more than what we did when I was a child. But Can I talk to you a minute about today? Today, can everybody say today? Today, Today, there's this list this long. And basically everything our children want, we 
try to get it for them. And you tell me after church, not now, tell me after church if I'm wrong, but the children get so much for Christmas nowadays that when they open something up, they just throw it to the side and go to the next one and throw it to the side. And, and I've even heard parents say they ended up playing with the paper instead of the gifts. There is so much that they don't really appreciate what they get. And then Easter has turned into another Christmas for a lot of families and birthdays. My goodness, that's another Christmas. And is it not true that we are bombarding our kids, loading them down with everything they want and they're bored with every bit of it? That's generally the way it works, isn't it? And not really all that thankful and filled with gratitude about it. They get something new. And in just a few hours, sometimes it's old and just put on the shelf and not looked at it anymore. My how times have changed from a shoebox with an apple and an orange and a sucker to what we have today. Well, I think it would not be an understatement to say that we are spoiled as a society. And it's not just the kids that are spoiled. It's. Adults as well. I can remember when I was growing up. I, I can actually remember going to church like we are today. And sitting in church with the windows open. In the middle of the summertime. And there were funeral home fans all over the church. And this is how we kept cool. Now don't tell me those were the good old days. I much prefer the AC that we've got going on today. But things have changed. And we have become spoiled And we have become soft. And in some ways we have become selfish. It's about us. And our comfort. And our preferences. And what we want. It's about me, me, me. And more, more, more. And feed the flesh and make me happy. I want to feel good. Give me what I want. Give me, give me, give me. And we have allowed that mentality To be brought with us into the church. To where we want things like we want them. We have our preferences. We have our will about things. And we want those things to be done. And we have our will about our lives. And sometimes we forget that we have a king. We're not the king. We are servants of the king. But we have a king and we are part of a kingdom, but we treat that as if it's a non-existent existential thing that's not really that important in our lives. And today is a a wake-up call from the word of God, from Jesus himself, about the attitude that Christians are supposed to have concerning this salvation that we say is greater than anything else in the world. And this grace that is amazing... Well, let's let the word of God speak to us. Mark chapter 10. It's an interesting passage of scripture where the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow, what a statement. That's like children, isn't it? Go to mom and dad. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. These 
two disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. They come to Jesus and say, would you do this for us? Because, you know, we know that you like us a little better than you do the rest anyway. We would like for you to allow us to sit one on your left hand and one on your right when you come and sit in your glory. We want to be there. We want to do that. Well, let's go ahead and read what he says and then we'll analyze that just a bit. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Are you able to handle what I'm having to handle? Are you going to be able to handle the criticism, the rejection, the persecution, martyrdom even? Can you handle that? It's a tall thing that you're asking for. He says, can you handle that? They said to him, we're able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now, Jesus, they have asked their question. And Jesus has answered it. But I'd like for you to look at the context and let's take a look again what's happening in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that's who these two disciples are. Another place in Mark chapter 3 verse 17, they're called not the sons of Zebedee, but they're called sons of thunder. They were evidently quite outspoken. They were evidently quite um, able to speak their mind, to voice their discontent. In one place, in Luke Luke 9, verse 54, uh, they're referred to again. And you may remember one episode in their lives where they came to this city, a Samaritan village, and the people there rejected Jesus. And they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and just wipe them all out? Well, that was awful Christ-like, wasn't it? So they're called the sons of thunder. They're boisterous. They're brash. They're unashamed to ask. Not one bit hesitant to bring this question to Jesus. Grant to us, Lord. This is what we want. We, we want to sit one on your right hand and other on your left in your glory. Can you do it? You know, and the strange thing here is, They had little enough awareness of what was going on around them to recognize that when they asked Jesus to do that for them, the Bible says in verse 41, and when the 10 heard it, there's how many disciples in all? 12, exactly. You guys are good. Two, James and John are making this request. That leaves how many? 10. And when the 10 heard it, when all the other disciples heard what was going on, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Well, I guess. But Jesus called to them, called them to himself and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. They rule with an iron fist. They put their foot down. They make sure they're listened to. They make sure they're obeyed. They make sure their orders are cared to. That's the way it works with the Gentiles. In verse 43, he says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Wait a minute. Among Christians, if you desire to be great, you shall become servant to the others. That sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? Verse 44, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all or servant of all. Now, verse 45 is the one I really want you to hear because these are the words of Jesus where he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Think about that. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. A scripture in the New Testament says, in Hebrews, it's a quote from the old. It says, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Speaking as if Jesus was talking here. Behold, I come. In the Old Testament it is written of me. Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Let me ask you this question. Reading and from what you know in the Old Testament, was it easy for Jesus to do all the will of God? Not a trick question. It's actually fairly obvious if you think through it. No, it wasn't easy. Because Jesus came to this earth to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came on this earth to die on a cross To shed his blood for the salvation of mankind. Amen? Was that easy? No, it wasn't. It wasn't easy at all. And just hours before Jesus was to be crucified, he began to think about the timing. This is what's coming. He knew it was just ahead of him. And he probably had the same emotions about what he was getting ready to face as you would have if you were in those same situations. And he was dreading it. He didn't want to participate in that. He didn't want to be involved in that. So we went before the Lord in prayer and he says, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Bible says he prayed that prayer three times. If it be possible, let's do it another way. Let's go a different direction. I'm not looking forward to this. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I might would prefer it to be a different way, Jesus said. However, not my will today, Lord, but your will is what I want to be done. And I'll submit to you, there's a pattern there that every one of us as children of the living God should follow. Being more concerned about his will than our will. Amen. Now remember, we are so, we are so 
we are so snowflakey. You've heard that word a lot, having the news, have you? You know what a snowflake is? It's some of these folks who just can't stand anybody who disagrees with them. They just melt. They just fall. It's like the, the Berkeley, I believe, at university this past week where somebody was, was, or in the last couple of weeks, who was going to make a speech there. And they, they set up counselors for them. So that if after they heard this conservative speak, if they were upset, they could go and receive professional help and counseling. I want to say, grow up. That's a snowflake. A, you know, a snowflake just melts. And that's the way we are today in our society. We're raising a bunch of snowflakes. And I'm not just limiting that to college students of today. I'm, I'm talking about that's the way we are. If we don't get our way, we just, we just melt away. And we forget that God has a will that we need to, to be in tune with. We, we are supposed to want God's will done, not our will. Amen? And sometimes we're more, more focused on our likes, our preferences, what we want, because probably those of us who are younger, mom and daddy, probably always gave us what we wanted for the most part anyway. Uh, this is something you don't do anymore. You don't say no to children anymore. You all can take this out of the sermon on the internet, what I'm about to say, okay? If you want to, you can cut it out. But you know what? By having a daycare here at the church during the week, and there's 60 children out here, uh, we have learned that, that children don't know what no means. They don't hear that at home. Or at least if they hear it, it doesn't mean anything to them. So kids are growing up. If they want it, they're going to pitch a tantrum. They're going to lay on the floor. They're going to kick. They're going to scream. They're going to kneel, go to Walmart, go to the grocery store. Wherever you go, you see it. They just, they haven't been taught what no means. They don't know what authority is. They don't know what parental authority is. They don't know what no means. They don't know how to respond. They don't know how to be, how to, to, to yield their will. How many of you ever heard the term the strong-willed child? Yeah, they have a will. You have a will and I have a will. But when we're children of the most high and we're children of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to yield our will to his. So the disciples came, Lord, here's what we want, Lord. We want you to promise us that one of us will be on your right and one of us will be on your left. That's what we want. And Jesus said, doesn't work that way. And then he used himself as an example. And Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus, said, I did not come to this world to be served. I came to this world to serve. The Lord came to serve. Now, I submit to you that most of us probably prefer to be served rather than serving. In fact, when you leave here today, some of you might probably be going somewhere to eat. You're going to walk in an establishment where when you walk in, it's a place where they prefer food and put it on the table. And as you go into that place, you are going in as a consumer. Am I right? Yes. 
So you're going in to have your needs met. You've got your preferences. You're going to choose what you want to eat. You're the consumer. You go in and it's their job there to make sure that you're happy and you get your will. Whatever you will, that's what's what you get when you go in. And so you are hoping that somebody is there to serve you and serve you well. Have you ever been somewhere that you like to go eat and and you you got waited on and it was so good. The service was so good. The wait person, the wait staff was so good, so uh, proficient that you next time you go, you ask for that person again. That happens, right? They did such a good job at serving you and made it so such a pleasurable experience that that next time you go, you ask for, they were good at serving. Well, that's fine. That's a good thing to be good at serving. You can appreciate that when someone does it well. You've also probably been to places there where the person probably should never have been employed in public work. Right? Serving is, is very important. We, as Christians today, probably enjoy being consumers, and that is receiving the things that we prefer much more than thinking of ourselves as servants who actually get involved. I'd like for us to turn to another passage as we prepare to close, also in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, beginning at verse 34. Now I'm going to tell you, if you'll, if you'll listen to this and take this at face value, it's going to be a wake-up call for many of us. Mark 8, beginning at verse 34. When he had called the people to himself... When Jesus had called the people to himself. With his disciples also, he said to them. Whoever desires to come after me. Well, let's just stop right there. Whoever desires to come after me. Now, you may not raise your hand now because you know I'm setting you up. But before I read that statement, if I had asked you, if you were a follower of the Lord Jesus, most of us would have done it just real quick. Right? That's who Jesus is talking to. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We don't like denying things, do we? He says, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to say no to your will. You're going to have to deny yourself in a lot of areas. And take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, usually at Easter time, we have a big cross that stands right here. Or either right there, one of the two places. I mean, it's big. It's heavy. When we take it apart, 
and just the the vertical member of this cross. I got to be honest with you, it's all I can do to bring it in here anymore. Seven years ago when we started, I just bring it in, set it up, and be it it it's getting heavier, or I'm getting older. I started to to put the cross in here just as an illustration. If I put the two members together, I can't even pick it up. Now, I doubt the cross that Jesus was crucified on was that heavy and that stout because this is a big one. But I'm going to tell you, it took a man to pick up that cross. And when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. I've got to tell you today. As a Christian, as a child of God, you can't have it your way in all the areas of your life. Like Burger King says, you can't have it your way and be who Jesus wants you to be. Can't do it. There's times when we have to deny ourselves. There's times when our preferences have to be laid aside. Our likes and our dislikes have to be subject to what Jesus says. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to take up his cross and follow me. You've got to take up your cross. Take up your cross? That's not the little cross that many of you have around your neck. That's not the cross he's talking about. He's talking about the heavy cross. He's talking about the cross that's hard to carry. He's talking about the cross that when you look at it, you remember what the cross is really all about. It's not a piece of jewelry and it's not something that's mounted on the front of a church. It's something that was made to die on. A cross was made for nails to be driven through your hands into the cross and same with your feet it's an instrument of death and he says if you're going to be a christian boy this i wish there was some way i could really drive this point home becoming a christian is a whole lot more than than praying a prayer somewhere lord jesus i i want you to forgive me of my sins thank you and walk away and then just just act like it's done it's not done It's not done. It's only beginning. Your Christian life and experience is just beginning. It's not over then. Because along with our repentance, if it's sincere, and along with our confession, if it's sincere, along with our coming to him to the altar, wherever that altar might be, if it's sincere, along with that also comes the turning around, which is what repent means, to make an about face, go a different direction and do things differently. And Jesus said, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me because there's a cross for you just like there's one for me. And our will, our will has to die. I didn't think that would get a whole lot of amens. Our will has to die. You see, the Bible cautions us about these tendencies that we have that we don't talk about much anymore. Paul said it this way. Paul said, I discipline my body. 
and bring it into subjection. In other words, with great effort, I have to subdue my own body and force it to be my servant. I'm not going to let my body rule me. I'm going to rule my body. I'm going to deny myself. That's quite a statement. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. You know what? If you're going to be a Christian and please God, you're going to have to discipline your thought processes and bring them into subjection. That's part of the body. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I die how often? Daily. Daily. Paul said, I die daily. You know what that lets me know? That means I can die to myself today. I can deny myself today. And tomorrow it's going to be a fight all over again. I'm going to have to die again tomorrow. To my will, my preferences, my ways, my tendencies. And then he teaches us to pray. How do you want us to pray, Lord? Would you teach us how? He said, yeah, I'll teach you how to pray. When you pray, this is the way you approach prayer. You say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Bring your kingdom, Lord. Thy what? Will. Will. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Sometimes we pray, and here's the way we pray. Lord, my will be done. Did you catch that? Sometimes when we pray, that's the way we pray. Lord, my will be done. I want it my way, Lord. Do it this way, Lord. My will be done. And we forget that we're taught to pray, Lord, thy will be done. Well, the fact of the matter is, That God will sometimes put us in places that we would rather not be. It happens. And when we are put in those places, we have to make up our minds. Are we going to obey God and yield to him? Or are we going to fight our way and have our way and press our way and force our way through? Jesus prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not what I will, Lord, but what you will. And I will remind you one more time. Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he set the pace. He set the example for us to follow. Back in January of 1961, I would have been about five years old. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was being inaugurated as president of the United States. And no, I don't remember it. I remember hearing about it. But in his famed speech those years ago, Here's what JFK said at his inauguration. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask rather what you can do for your country. How many have heard that quote? That's a great quote. If you shift that over to the spiritual realm, 
Ask not what the church can do for me, but ask what I can do for the church. Ask not what God can do for me, which is what we all are interested in, but ask what can I do for God as I deny myself and as I take up my cross, assume my responsibilities and follow the pattern that he set for me. Well, the Lord has a will for your life. Think through that with me. The Lord has a will. We pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The Lord has a will for your life. If you believe that, would you just kind of sneak up your hand just a little bit? The Lord has a will for my life. Having established that, and just about every hand went up like this, really, instead of like this. I'm going to ask you right where you're seated to sing this song with me which talks about the will of the Lord and how important it is and and what effect it will have in our lives. Let's sing it together. The Lord has a But it's a mouthful. The Lord has a will, and I have a need to rest in it, rest in it, fully be blessed in it. One more time. The Lord has a will. The Lord has a will. And I have a need to rest in it, rest in it, fully be blessed in it, seeking my with me now I'll say yes Lord yes to your will and to your way I'll say yes Lord yes I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me Spirit speaks 
so much. You might be seated for just a moment. We have the opportunity this morning to do something very important. Uh, Kathy, (laughs) Kathy's up here FaceTiming with her son and his wife, I guess. Yeah, they're all there. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you? Is, I need to put this down there. You doing all right today? Not too bad about yourself. Are you hearing that at all? Okay. Hearing it a little bit. Um, Josh is uh, Kathy's son. He grew up here in this church. We got acquainted a little bit, and now he's in the um, in the army. Is that right, Josh? Yes, sir. Now, if I mess this up somewhere, you keep me straight, okay? Oh, uh, that's all right. Okay. Oh, what a beautiful family! I wish you all could see this, mom and dad, and two little ones here. <laughs> Can, Can you see him? We, we can't hear Kathy. If you hold oh. the phone out. <laughs> They're my grandkids. I'm going to show uh, Beautiful family. And I'd just like to let you know that Josh and his family now live in Fort Bliss, uh, El Paso, Texas. Uh, Josh will soon be a sergeant first class. He's, uh, yeah, go right ahead. I wish you could see all these folks, Josh. Um, his lovely wife Erica is with him and their daughters Marissa, age three, and Leanna, is that how you pronounce that? Leanna. Leanna, 17 months old. And Josh will be deploying for his third deployment to Afghanistan shortly. And um, we wanted to make sure that we had prayer for Josh before he did that. And this is about the best way we could do it. Kathy asked me if I could do this with him personally and FaceTime. And I thought, we need to do this at church. Josh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we have prayer for you as you were leaving your first Sunday at the church in the old building years ago? The phone's breaking up. I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, years ago, when you went into the military, didn't we have prayer for you in front of the church in the old old church? Yes, sir. Okay. Also in here too. Oh, in here too. Mm-hmm. What? Christmas time. Josh, I'm getting old. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not remembering all these details, but I want you to know that we've got our whole church gathered here together and we wanted to have a special prayer for you and your family and your safety as you prepare to make this uh, next deployment. That'd be okay with you? Yes, sir. We would appreciate it. Okay, if you all don't mind, would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to join with with me in prayer. And we're going to ask the Lord's blessings. You know, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. I just wouldn't feel right about Josh being deployed to Afghanistan again. And us not, not having asked for his safety and his protection. Amen. I think this is so appropriate for us. So would you join me in prayer at this time? Lord, what a privilege it is. At this moment in time, to be able to lift Josh up to prayer to you. Lord, what a, what a turn he's made in his life from his young days. He's become a father, a fine young man, been 10 years in the military now, almost and, and deployed twice already. But Lord, we're asking that you would put a hedge of protection around him and keep him safe during this next deployment. We know this is dangerous work that he does. And we're just asking for your grace and your mercy in his life. 
You're an awesome God today. Lord, I pray that you would touch Erica and bring peace and comfort to her life. Oh, Lord, help her to know that there is a church here in North Carolina that's praying for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would just meet their needs as a family while he's gone. Lord, that you would bless these children. Oh, God, keep them healthy and safe. Lord, put your arms around this family. Meet their every need. Make a way sometimes when there doesn't seem to be a way. But Lord, more than anything else today, our concern is that you put a hedge of protection around Josh and keep him safe during this time in this deployment. We know that you're able. We're trusting you and believing you today. And we're asking for that and believing you for it in Jesus' name. What an awesome God you are. And we do love you today. Blessed be your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, buddy. Thanks, sir. I sure wish you guys could be here today. Pardon me? We'll be seeing you next year for sure. Next year for sure, he says. God bless you. We love you guys. Take care. I love you too. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Give him a hand, would you? Thank you, Kathy. We have uh, prayer requests here that I need to share with you before we have our final prayer together today. Um, Harold Barnes left church not feeling well, um, passed out at home once he got home. And Francis has called the rescue on the way to, to Rex Hospital now. So please remember Harold. Also, um, a prayer request here for Kimberly Hunley's friend. Uh, Nicole asked for prayer for her husband, Josh, who has back problems and also lost his job. Nicole's dad in the hospital with back problems and infection in several areas of his body. So let's remember this family, please. Also, Luana called and requested prayer for her daughter, Lorraine. So please, let's remember that. Um, obviously, continue to pray for Josh and his family. And let's just ask that the will of the Lord would be done. Now, today you're here and you have needs, I'm sure. So as a, as a sign, not to me and not to anybody else who is here, but as a sign to the Lord that you have a need and you're trusting him today to meet that need, would you just lift your hand? Now, would you pray with me that the Lord would meet these needs? Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you're a God who cares and understands about our every need. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to these, these who were sick. Lord, even Harold, who is on his way to the hospital, as far as we know. And Lord, just be Lord over this situation. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in each one of these needs today. Be Lord over all, we pray. For every hand that was raised, there was a need there. I don't know what it is, but you certainly do. And we are binding together in New Life Church today, binding arms and faith together, asking that you would minister to these needs, that you would touch each one who needs a special blessing from you today. And then, Lord, we lift up this entire congregation. We pray that you would help us to get some glimpse from the Word of God today about the things that you require of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you tell us if we're going to follow you, 
that we have to deny ourselves. Sometimes our will is not going to take us where we really need to be going. So we're going to have to change tracks and we're going to have to follow your will instead of ours. And then, Lord, you tell us that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow you. Teach us what that means and give us the grace to follow through and do it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, bless this church. Bless those who are traveling today. There are many family reunions and other things where people have traveled out of town. We're just praying your traveling mercies over these all. Bring us back safe, ready to worship you again the next appointed time. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you hug a couple people? Tell them.